Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Amanda Erickson, who writes about foreign affairs for The Washington Post. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hey, Mallory. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks so much for being had. How's your job going? I, I saw that sentence and I thought you probably have a lot to write about. You know, it uh, it's it's really crazy since uh, since Trump got elected, I feel like. Every day is like five days in, in one. Uh, and like by the end of the day, we're writing about totally different things than we were at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. It seems like kind of a consistent theme for everybody right now is that we're all sort of experienced time in a weird accelerated cycle as if we were in that weird tidal planet near a black hole from interstellar. Yeah, that is exactly how I feel. And then when it's the weekend, I it's hard to listen to any to pay attention to anything at all, I feel like. Yeah. Well, hopefully the fact that we can stop and address some very specific problems will go a long way towards feeling, if only for a moment, like you have stepped into a normal cycle of time and we can deal with people on a case by case basis and then release one another back into the world. That sounds great. Great. Well, I'm excited and terrified. I hope you're excited and terrified. I hope everybody in the studio today is excited and terrified. And I hope our listeners are, too. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah. uh, our first letter, I'm going to go ahead and read. The subject line is Judge Judy, which I really appreciate. And it's really something. Dear Prudence, my sister Carrie is an incredibly judgmental woman. I've spent the past 35 years of my life being humiliated by her. But it came to a head when she invited me to a meal at her house and told me that I needed to get started on having a life. I asked her what she meant, and she listed a number of things I haven't done yet, mentioning that my salary was a pittance compared to hers. I was so upset that I punched her in the face, breaking her nose. She doesn't drive, so I had to take her to the hospital and receive a talking to from our parents. I left, called her in the morning, and was told that I was a horrible person and that I deserved to die alone. Carrie and I have never been on bad terms before, and despite her needling, I love her dearly and regret what I did completely. How can I apologize? I like this question because there's like a real kind of turning point in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that that definitely was not the direction that I thought it was going to go in, and yet it did. Yeah, I um, I thought it was really interesting the way she talks about how she received a talking to from her parents. Like that in combination with how she describes her relationship with what sounds like a pretty abusive sister makes me feel like she doesn't really have the kind of tools and boundaries she needs to have healthy relationships with her family. Yeah. The other thing that really stood out to me was the sentence, Carrie and I have never been on bad terms before, which I don't I know, think I underline is... that. That's not true. That's not even a yeah. little bit true. That's a, the least true sentence I've read today. Uh, you and Carrie are on terrible terms. You have been on awful terms for 35 years, and it has recently become, you know, visible on your sister's face how bad the things are between the two of you. But things are not good. This was not an isolated incident. This was not a blip in an otherwise mutually supportive and loving relationship. This is a this is a bad relationship. Yeah, it seems pretty toxic. And like my instinct is like, I don't know that you're really in a place where you need to be apologizing and trying to like figure out how to how to get back to where things were. Because where things were 
like got you so angry that you punched your sister in the nose. I'll agree with half of that because I, I, I definitely think the goal of, you know, trying to get back to anything that looks like what things were like before is, is a bad goal. But I very much think that this letter writer needs to apologize um, as awful as it sounds like your relationship with your sister has historically been. That did not justify the act of assault that you committed. You committed a violent act um, that she could very easily press charges for. I mean, this is something that you could go to jail over. This is assault. Um, And that's very, very serious. And again, no matter how unpleasant or unkind or, you know, emotionally abusive your sister has been, that does not in any way justify punching her in the nose. that's pretty serious and I think is is probably the primary thing that needs to be addressed is what are you going to do to make sure that you never do something like this again? Yeah, and I, I, I kind of like jot it down like it seems like some maybe kind of therapy would be really helpful. I mean, yeah, figuring absolutely. out like a little bit, you know, kind of what happened and, and how you got here and, and what tools you kind of need to to not react like this again. Right. Well, and not just therapy. I think specifically uh, anger management, because it seems like the letter writers two approaches to their own anger has been one kind of it sounds like just take out whatever emotional abuse their sister's been dishing their way without saying anything um, or two getting violent. And both of those are very bad responses to your own anger. Um, And I think that absolutely therapy, absolutely anger management right now, not like, oh, it'd be a good idea. Oh, this is kind of embarrassing, but I was driven to it. This is really serious um, and you need to start addressing it immediately. That should be your absolute number one priority. So number one and no, you know, you got to put some weight behind an apology, right? Like an apology that's just, I'm sorry, let's hope that never happens again is not much of an apology, but an apology that comes with, here are the steps that I'm taking to address the way that I deal with my own feelings and make sure I never, you know, violently attack anyone ever again. That That's more meaningful than just, sorry, but you were really mean to me. Yeah. And I mean, I don't... Th- think that your relationship is going to kind of go back to to any kind of like anything that resembles kind of a normal close relationship for for a long time. And I don't think you should expect that and don't kind of push for that. Right. I mean, you describe, letter writer, 35 years of humiliation. And then you say, but we're not on bad terms. And that just, I think, speaks to how damaging and bad the dynamic is in your family that you have thought of 35 years of being humiliated without ever speaking up in your own defense or limiting contact or setting a boundary, uh, that you think of that as not bad terms. I think you really need to redefine your idea of what bad terms are, because this looks just as bad as terms can get to me. I think that's totally right. Yeah. And it's it's hard, too, because on the one hand, I do have a lot of sympathy, like the dynamic you describe. I, I'm so sorry. That sounds so painful. And it sounds like you have suffered a great deal. And yet on the other side, what you did was totally unjustified and inexcusable. It would have been really appropriate to leave. It would have been really appropriate to get in an argument. It would have been really appropriate to say, I don't like the way that you talk to me. And unless you can speak to me with basic respect and kindness, I'm not going to spend time with you. Any of those would have been totally appropriate responses. But breaking her nose, um, 
that's just not okay. Breaking people's noses is not a good response to anything. And and it seems a little bit like the way the letter writer describes it, it's almost a little bit dreamlike, like just, well, I, I had to take her to the hospital and our parents were there and I left and I called her the next day and she yelled at me. And again, like what she said to you was awful um, and vile. It's terrible to tell someone that they deserve to die alone. And it also... I understand that she's really angry at you. She has a right to be really angry at you. And I think that's one of the really difficult things is when you have been in a position where you do have right on your side and then you cede some of the moral high ground by doing something that now this is the thing we have to talk about, right? Like now the issue is not just you are cruel to me constantly. You humiliate me and I want to stand up for myself. Now it's also this was not standing up for myself. This was violence. This was wrong. Um, And now I have to make that right. And and that the, the, your goal should not be get my sister to stop yelling at me or make sure she's not mad at me. Your goal right now should be, um, you know, continue to grant her space if that's what she needs. Offer a meaningful apology that's not just, hey, sorry, I hit you, but I was really upset. But what I did was wrong and I had no right to do it. And I'm sorry. And I'm taking steps to deal with my own anger. Um, and then yeah, and I, later I don't date, think that apology. Oh, sorry. I, just, I don't think that apology is the place to say like, you know, I'm really sorry, but it's been really bad for 35 years. Like, no. I think that apology has to be just like, really sorry. What I did was terrible. Here's how I'm handling it. Right. You. Th- this is not the time to have the conversation about your relationship dynamic, unfortunately, because you just have to deal with this now. Um, but in addition to that, I think you should definitely take a step back from your family. And also one of the things you should explore in therapy is why, why do I... Um, continue to spend time with somebody who says these things to me? Uh, what could I do differently? How would I like to be treated? And and what am I going to do so that the next 35 years of my life aren't just more of the same, but hope I don't punch her again? Because going back to the way things were, that's not going to be good for anybody. Man, yeah, this yeah. one was really sad. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just, it's it's sad when something that has been coming to a head for years and years and years erupts like this. Um, And I'm just really sorry both for you and also now for your sister in different ways. Um, It's just, if nothing else, uh, because I don't, I want to both treat what you did with the seriousness that it merits and also acknowledge that you have suffered a great deal at the hands of your sister. Um, But this is not a blip I, I want to, reg- you know, I regret this. I want to get back to the way that things were. That should not be your goal. The way things were, were what got you to this point. Yeah, I think that's right. But yeah, I mean, somebody who invites you over to dinner in order to spring a series of complaints about how much money you make and the fact that they don't think you have a life is not somebody who wants good things for you or who has your best interests at heart or who is demonstrating love to you. Like, that's awful and horrible. That's like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf level garbage and uh you deserve better than that and and your sister deserves better than being punched in the face yes that's a great way to that's a great summary yeah yeah i mean i i I don't like your sister she doesn't sound like a person i'd want to spend time with but even she deserves to not be hit in the face so yeah find that therapist today find that therapist today find that anger management course or counselor today and uh spend some time really giving this the attention and weight that it deserves because it sounds like kind of for 35 years your strategy was it's not that bad I don't need to pay attention to it and now you're realizing I do I really do 
All right. Well, next up, we've got a voicemail, which I'm excited about because it has to do with trash talking at work, which is one of my favorite things to get to deal with because it's not me. No one's. I just get to, to enjoy the moral superiority of telling everyone what to do and not being involved. Hi, Prudy. Um, so I'm friends with one member of an executive board for an organization that I'm in. And she and I were recently getting coffee. And she confided in me that she feels like she's somewhat of a pariah in the group and that it's being, it, she's being sort of shut out from decisions, not overtly, but uh, it's just a feeling she gets. I just sort of um, non-committally listened to her and agreed with her. But what I didn't say was that via another member of said executive board that um, I know fairly well, but she does not know. I've heard from him that um, other members of the executive board have said really negative things about her behind her back and um, that the, the person who told me this was seemed to be um, pretty disgusted with their behavior. So my question is, at what point do I owe it to her to tell her secondhand information about this issue that she might be having when, you know, it's not really my place because I didn't personally witness these people saying negative things about her, nor do I necessarily want to cause drama in an organization that I'm a part of, even though I'm not a member of the executive board. Thanks so much. All right, Amanda, you work like in an office. I feel like you probably have more connections to the sort of day-to-day dynamics of coworkers and trash talk than, than I have. What's your take on this? You know, I'm a little bit torn about this one because like... I want to know like a little bit about how close he is with the the board member who's being talked about like uh and and on the one hand I I want her to I sort of want her to have the information like I want her to know that that this isn't all in her head but I I don't know that it's super productive to pass on all the secondhand information. I don't know. I'm kind of torn. Yeah, I I went back and forth on this one a little bit as well. In part because you know, you are somewhat involved in the organization, but you're not on the board. So this could potentially have repercussions for you, caller, at work. And I don't want that for you. And I also want to think, what's the most useful thing you can do? And my thought is um, not to take this to, you know, your friend who conf- confided that she feels like people are talking about her, but to talk to the member of the board that you know well um, who is apparently talking trash about her in some ways to you. Um, or, uh, oh, sorry, I'm actually, I, I'm, I'm misreading that. It sounds like the other board member um, that you know told you being upset that other people are trashing her. So I, I mis- misheard that at first. Um, but my, my thought would be the best thing you could do is to encourage the other board member, hey, I think 
you know, this is something that's really worth addressing. It seems like it's, you know, damaging to the dynamic all of you have as board members. And I really encourage you to speak to those people and to say, you know, you don't have to like this person, uh, but please keep your comments uh, about her professional when you're at work. Um, And I think that's probably the, the most effective good you could do in this situation, just because you don't. I, I, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of specifics to give her that she can do anything with. So much as just confirming, you know, that thing you're already pretty sure is happening. It is happening, and now you'll have this kind of sense of suspicion of, oh God, who else has this gotten back to? And that I think would only make her feel more paranoid. It would not actually allow her to speak to someone directly. So I, yeah, I would say my best advice is. Talk to the other board member who's also confiding in you and just encourage them to address it. That's part of their job, right? Like as board members, they should be always on the hunt for ways to work together well um, and to be trying to um, nip any potential like conflict or or disagreement uh, that's not productive or work related in the bud. And I think after that, you should kind of take a step back. And if they try to say again, like to, to vent or complain to you to say, you know, this sounds really serious. I think you should talk about it with the other board members. There's nothing that I can do about it. So I'm going to ask you to stop talking to me about this. I feel like that's probably the best bet for this. I think that's smart. And do you think when he talks to the the board member, you know, if he does, that he should mention that this other board member kind of is sensing this? That's a good question. I, I can see that going a couple of different directions, and I don't think that it would be helpful for the per, for the the original friend. Sorry, I'm like there's several different unnamed people, so I'm trying to like figure out ways to refer to all of them in a way that's useful. But I, I think just to say, you've mentioned a dynamic that sounds pretty unpleasant and that is distracting the board. Um, it may be contributing to her being isolated at work or feeling like there's something going on that she's not quite aware of. Uh, I think you can just say, I think this is a dynamic that would be harmful to her ability to get her job done without saying, by the way, when she and I were having coffee, she confessed to me that she feels left out because that would feel a little bit more like a, a betrayal of trust, even though this person's already kind of on her side. Um, I, I think I would not go so far as to say tell this guy what she told you, but just to point out, look, if it's getting around to you, if this many people are doing it, I'm sure she is already aware of this dynamic and it's making things hard for her. And I think it would be really good for you to try to figure out ways you guys can address this as a board. Yeah, I think that that seems like great advice. Yeah. And just especially because the person like they have a job that is not being on the board, that's the most helpful they can be. And then they should step back and just uh, if anybody else brings it up again to just say, I really hope that you guys are able to address this as a board. Good luck with that. If she talks to you about it again, you don't have to put up quite so firm a boundary, but you can just say, I'm really sorry. That sounds really difficult. Uh, I hope that you are able to um, find somebody on the board that you can talk to about this who's supportive and who will help you, or maybe that's HR or something else. But to to like affirm that what she's going through sucks and to also really encourage her to seek help, whether that's from a director, another board member, somebody on HR, somebody who can actually help deal with this. Because you can't. You're not on the board. Um, you, you don't work with those people. I think it's very smart. All right. We're going to jump back into letters and family issues. And I would love it, Amanda, if you would read this next letter. Okay, so this next letter, the subject is dealing with in-laws. Dear Prudence, I'm in an interracial marriage. I'm black 
and my husband is white, and our children are biracial. My husband's family refers to my six-month-old twins as the little monkeys. I don't know how it got started, but they haven't stopped. They even buy them clothes with monkeys on it and monkey-stuffed animals. I told my husband that it really bothers me. In my opinion, it's insensitive, if not racist, to call the only black children in your family the little monkeys. My husband thinks it's innocent and that they are not intending to be racist, and he doesn't want to start anything by addressing it. So I finally said something to his parents, and my father-in-law got upset and said I'm overreacting and making everything about race and that he doesn't see the problem. I'm even more upset now because I think he should respect my opinion as their mother if he agrees with me or not. And if he can't, I don't think he should be around my children. I don't know what to do going forward. Oh, man. This one was just hard in in part because it's just awful and painful to deal with at all, but then also that this letter writer doesn't have her husband's full support just makes it so much more difficult. I think one of the really unique pains of um, being like a person of color, specifically like a black woman around a group of white people, is feeling like if you are trying to name a dynamic or identify something that has a really weighted racist history and everyone else is saying you're making everything about race and that's just such a weird deflection because it's like she's actually just making this one thing about race. It's it's the one thing that she's talking about. Um, that's not everything. That's one thing. You, you are counting wrong. Um, and I'm just really sorry. And I wish that your husband were more in your corner and you are... Um, you are not overreacting. Uh, there is a long and storied history of, um, you know, white people, European people using like monkey related imagery to like prop up a really distorted view of white supremacy and to behave and, and justify racist behavior towards black people. Um, and that's real. That's real. That's documented. You can look that up. Um, there's a long history there that goes back hundreds of years. Um, so that just if, if nothing else, yes, it is right to be bothered by this. It is OK for you to say it. You are not making everything about race, which is such a weird uh, racist deflection that white people we sometimes do when somebody says, I don't like this, this is racist. Um, because then the conversation turns into this white fear of being called racist, right? Like, I can't be racist. That's what bad people are. Therefore, if anyone suggests I have said or done something racist, it is no longer about what I said or did. It's now about whether or not I am a categorically good person and I have to defend myself. So I will ignore, demean, justify myself, uh, discredit that person uh, until they drop the subject. And that's a really bad response. Yeah. And I, I think this is a just a, a really sad letter. Uh but what what bothers me most is that your husband really doesn't have you know doesn't doesn't have your back and isn't isn't willing to engage with you and to sort of understand what you're what you're communicating to him. And I I, I kind of think that's the place to start is to get you know talk to your husband again, explain why you know, and to really try to kind of. He, I mean, he should be he should be on your side, and he should be. He should be sensitive to this. He should be thinking about this. He should not be telling you it's all innocent. It's all in your head. And I, to me, that's the kind of the first the first thing that you need to that you know you should sort of should think about and, and deal with. Right, and I think that there's a dynamic underneath that, right? That you've you've kind of hit at that's so important, which is this idea that something is either innocent 
or intended with like conscious racist intent. Um, and there's that sort of idea that if my parents weren't consciously thinking about um, this history of that comparison, then there could never be racism involved. As if, you know, being white in America, you don't absorb from the moment of your birth all number of racist ideas and white supremacist ideas that can show up in your behavior, whether or not you consciously intend them to or not. Um, And there's again that idea of they can't be doing or saying anything racist because, and the sort of implicit statement behind that is, they love our kids. And, you know, it's kind of related to that sometimes like white defense when somebody says or does something racist of, I can't be racist. I love black people. And it's like, you can do both. Um, they can love your children and um, have done or said something that's weighted, fraught, and racist at the same time. Like, that's how you know, we get stuff like the white savior narrative, these ideas of um, on the surface saying, no, I love black people. I love this specific black person. And yet there's also condescension, superiority, white supremacy, savior narratives, you know, like relational colonialism. All those things are very real. And if nothing else, um, I think it is a falsehood that your husband is espousing that either his parents are racist or they love their grandchildren. It's both. It's both. And the point here is not deciding whether or not, you know, mom and dad are racist and bad or loving and good, and therefore anything they say and do is totally neutral or innocent. Um, All that you're saying is there is a well-documented history of white people referring to black people with, like, primate comparisons. It hurts me when you do that. I'm asking you to stop. You may not have been consciously aware of it when you did it, but, you know, here's a little bit about the history of that. I'm very aware of it. I want you to stop. Now that you know, now that you know that it hurts me, now that you know that it makes me feel singled out, now that it makes me, you know, that it makes me feel targeted um, and othered uh, and that it brings up issues of, of, of racism and white supremacy, I want you to stop. Um, it, it, like, can you, husband, explain to me why, knowing all of this now, knowing that it hurts me, knowing that it makes me feel isolated, why on earth would continuing to buy monkey pajamas be more important than that to either you or your parents? Um, and I hope very much that at that point, your husband would be able to say, you're right, it's not. There's a lot of other pajamas in the world. We can get turtle pajamas. We can get purple pajamas. Um, There are lots of other affectionate nicknames you can use to refer to little kids. Let's do that. Um, And and I think that conversation would absolutely be the first one that you would want to have before going back to the in-laws. Because if it's like, that's that's, that's what belies their earlier statement of it's totally innocent. Well, if it's totally innocent, why would you not cheerfully stop doing it if someone told you it bothered them? Like, why would it be more important to continue using that nickname than hearing your daughter-in-law, the mother of your grandchildren, say, there's a racist history behind this term. You may not have been consciously aware of it, but that's where it comes from. Um, You only do it with my kids, and I'm asking you to stop. Uh, The only reason that you would not stop upon hearing that would be a desire to continue to manifest a form of white supremacy, to say, nope, um, my whim is more important than your like pain, and I'm going to keep doing it. 
Um, and that's a really appropriate line to want to draw. Um, and your father-in-law's response um, was totally, he didn't listen. He didn't let it land. He didn't stop and think about it from your point of view. He just dismissed you. And so the fact that you're upset that he didn't respect your opinion as their mother um, is totally legitimate. Yeah, that's upsetting. Yeah. You're right to be very upset. Yep. And, and, and to, and again, I'm just really sorry, like that your husband's not more in your corner. I hope that with a little further conversation or even just like some basic research, he can familiarize himself a little more with the specifics of this. Um, but, uh, you know, for you to say, I'm not overreacting. I'm not making everything about race. I'm making this one thing about race. And also this is my race. So I experience the world as a black woman. Um, and if you, if what you or your family want from me is to pretend that that's not how I go through the world, you know, we're not going to be able to um, deal with reality as as we love each other and remain a part of each other's family. Like you are asking me to disavow a part of myself in order to go along to get along. And I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, not only does her husband have to sort of understand that but I, I kind of think he then needs to go back to his family and the kind of the onus has to be on him to to sort of communicate to his family that he and his wife are united in yes. this and that this is important to both of them and that his parents have to listen this isn't just about his wife it's about their family right and if you genuinely like letter writer's husband or in-laws if you genuinely don't see the problem if after learning and reading a little bit more about the history of those terms you still genuinely don't believe it's a problem. If nothing else, ask yourself this. Can I respect that it's a problem for her? Um, is this the hill that I want to die on? Am I willing to say, I don't understand the weight or the history that she's bringing to this. I don't feel the same way, but she's told me how she feels. And she's made a very achievable, simple request that I'm perfectly capable of carrying out if I wish to, if I choose to, if I exercise my will. Ask yourself, is there a good reason not to do that? And is there any reason not to do that that doesn't just rhyme with schmacism? Um, and I really hope uh, that this is something that they are willing to pause over and, and think about from your perspective just for a minute. Um, and it just that sort of racist gaslighting is really painful and i'm really sorry that that's something that you're going through right now just especially that dismissal of i don't know what you're talking about you're making this up the sort of ahistoricism and 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 historical blindness that usually accompanies white supremacy is it's really damaging and it's really awful all right we're going to move ahead to one more voicemail uh that audrey is going to kindly play for us dear prudence I had a very difficult childhood. My parents were both drug addicts and were emotionally abusive and neglectful. I moved out when I was 15, and they continued to contact me repeatedly and often asking for food, money, emotional support, or pity. When I would attempt to point out the difficulties of my childhood to them, they were their response would be to cry, tell me I'm making them feel horrible, or threaten suicide once they threatened me with violence. After years of therapy and struggling to find a middle ground, I cut my parents out of my life entirely, and I feel I'm better for it. 
My question is this. There are many times when people will ask about my parents. It's one of those questions everyone feels is safe and neutral for some reason, so it comes up regularly. If it's someone I barely know, I just reply with they're well and they live far away. But with people who I know will be around me in situations where family is usually involved, like close friends or coworkers, people I've dated, or those involved in planning my wedding, I usually reply that I'm not in contact with my parents and so they shouldn't be expected at such and such event. Frequently, people, especially those over 50 as they have children my age, will begin to lecture me on how no one loves you like your parents do, how no matter what differences we've had, I'll regret the lack of contact one day, or how parents always try their best and I should be in contact with them for their sake. Reassurance is that I know all of this, and yet for my own sake I cannot be around my parents, or usually met with smug insistence that one day I will change my mind, or that I'll understand better when I have children of my own. Telling them I don't wish to argue the point or discuss the matter further seems rude when I know they think they're attempting to be friendly or helpful. Do you have any advice on how to respond to such comments, or should I do as my fiancé suggests and just claim they're dead and it's too painful to discuss? I'm at a loss, and it comes up often enough, especially in wedding planning, that I feel like I need a better go-to than arguing with strangers over how terrible my parents were. Um, Thank you. Bye. It's always great when someone hears someone else's story of personal pain and trauma and decides, this is just like my life. Let me tell you what I think you should do. That's a bad response, guys. It's not your life. And you don't know what this other person has gone through. And the fact that you have children does not mean you are an expert on someone else's relationship with your parents. So knock it the hell off. Also, like, like read the room. Like, when someone doesn't want to talk about something, that's not an invitation to ask them and lecture them. Right. Like, can you imagine just like the sheer like fortitude and confidence it takes to hear someone else say, oh, I'm not in touch with my parents and say, let me tell you a thing or two about parents. Right. To say like, well, here's everything you are doing wrong or, based on that one sentence. I guarantee that you will have regrets in the future. A of all, buddy, we all will. Life's hard. Like, we're all going to die with regrets. That's just unavoidable. But also, that's that's just such a violation of social etiquette. Like, don't do that. I realize that I am not addressing all of those people, and I probably will not be able to prevent future people from doing this to the caller. But, man, if somebody else says something about their own family or not being in contact with them, especially if you are not, like, tremendously close friends— Just say something bland like, oh, thanks for letting me know, or I'm sorry to hear that, and then move on. It's not your business. This is an opportunity to not worry about something that doesn't concern you, and I urge you to take it. Yes, and it comes up so often, I feel like. Yeah. um, So do we think there's a better way to address those moments? Do we think just go with what the fiancé says and go with my parents are dead? Uh, what's, What's your take? I... I don't I don't love uh, the lie that my parents are dead um, just because I feel like that could sort of open its own can of worms, um, though I can see why that would just kind of shut down. Maybe that would shut down the conversation. I mean, I, I wonder if if you would feel comfortable with saying something like, you know, it's it's not safe for me to be in touch with my parents and I don't want to talk about it. I mean, do you think that's that's giving too much information? It's hard because I I liked like if I heard that, of course, I would not ask a follow up question. But it seems like part of the problem is she's already dealing with people who hear an obvious boundary and are like, great time for me to mount this wall and jump over and run around in your heart garden. That was a weird metaphor. But um, I, I want to put in a plug for the lie. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily going to be the most effective long term strategy for the people that you're really close with. But 
good Lord, if these are just like people who are coming in and out of your life for wedding planning, if this is just like a florist asking idle conversation, absolutely feel free to just go with my parents are dead. Um, You don't owe these people anything. They have demonstrated repeatedly that they are unable to be polite when you mention your parents. You're not even bringing them up is is the problem, too, right? Like, this is something that other people are demanding of you um, and then pushing past your boundaries. So I don't think it's necessarily the most useful long-term strategy. And, of course, it could end up being more complicated if at some point, somehow, someone you had said, my parents are dead to, found out that they were not. I'm not sure under what circumstances that would happen, but I just want to acknowledge that as a possibility. Um, But you absolutely can say that. Like, that is a totally appropriate lie. That is a lie that I am, like, here for because people have just repeatedly demonstrated they can't respect your boundaries and that's i think completely fair um but i I also also understand not wanting to do it well i also think uh you know it isn't rude to tell someone you don't want to talk about something anymore when they are being rude to you yeah when they're being rude by pushing it's not rude to say you know i'm I'm not going to talk about this or or i i'm not interested in talking about this with you like when people are rude to you you're allowed to be firm back to them it's not rude Right. Even if they mean well. Right. Yeah. I, I think the, the, probably your best option, because it doesn't sound like going with my parents or dead is something that you really want to do. I mostly just want you to know you've been through enough. You can say that if you need to. Um, it, it sounds like maybe to just say something really neutral of they're not going to be able to make it or we're not in touch. And then if anybody pushes past that to just immediately go with, I'm not going to discuss that any further. That's not getting into an argument. That's not trying to say, well, here's the things that they did so that you should get on my side. That's not opening yourself up for a debate of whether or not you're doing the right thing. Um, But I think it's really appropriate to just say some variation on they're not going to be there. I'm not in touch with them. um, And then I'm not going to discuss it further. And then if somebody pushes it, um, you know, to just go with, I've already told you I'm not going to discuss it further. If you can't let the subject drop, I'm going to have to walk away. Um, And that is totally okay and appropriate. That is like completely okay to do. Those people are being just wildly out of order. Yeah, like someone who can hear that and keep pushing you, you should not be in conversation with them anymore. Yeah, just I'm not going to discuss that. Um, Yeah, that's all. I'm not going to discuss that. And if somebody can't hear that, and again, like... Just uh, hopefully you can just walk away from those conversations. But if somebody says you're going to regret this, you know, you can just say something like that may be, you know, okay. Uh, Just to not give them that sort of conversational purchase can sometimes be helpful of just sort of like, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, And that can sometimes take the wind out of somebody's sails who's really looking for an argument. Um, And it also just makes it clear that, like, you're aware, yeah, I'm prepared to deal with that. That is that is an acceptable outcome for me. I would rather someday have some regrets, you know, about what could have been rather than re-engage with my, you know, abusive, neglectful parents who I'm not safe with. Um, Again, I I don't want to like encourage you to get into a lot of back and forths. Um, But also, you know, you're getting married. Get your, you know, fiance to help you out. I I know you guys aren't necessarily always going to be planning wedding stuff together. But if you are together, you know, just say, if somebody pushes this, will you please back me up? Will you just say like, she said she doesn't want to talk about it. Please leave it alone. Because um, that is what a partner is for, is is to help you out when people are being jerks to you. Yeah, that's a really good point. 
yeah, I, I'm really sorry. Uh, absolutely. Just just shut those conversations down. Just say, you know what? I'm not going to discuss it. And if they keep going, just say goodbye. Um, and ugh, I guess at least now you know not to hang out with those people because they are jerks. Yeah. Whew, I think I've climbed up on like eight soap boxes today. So I'm just going to like come down and sit on the grass for a minute. All right. So very much in the same vein, we've got another letter that I would love for you to read in part because that means that I get to read the one that I am the most the best intrigued letter. by. The, it's easily the best letter I've ever <laughs> The gotten. best letter. Uh, but so this is the, the one before the best letter. Take it away. Uh, so the subject of this one is need to help my little sister. Dear Prudence, I need to find some help for my little 12-year-old sister, Julie, but I'm not sure where to turn. My mom is a serial divorcer and is splitting up with her fourth husband, Lou, and dating the guy who I guess will be number five. Mom goes out almost every night and then stays with the new guy, leaving Julie with her stepfather, who ignores her and then later screams at my mom for sticking him with her kid. This is very hurtful to Julie, since she's been raised by Lou for the past eight years, and she hardly ever sees her real father, husband number three, since he remarried. Mom did the same thing when she split with Julie's father, but Julie was too young to remember. I also went through something similar when mom split up with my dad, husband number one but at least my dad was there for me. Julie is so stressed and miserable. I let her stay with me, but I share a studio apartment with my boyfriend and our dog. She has camped out on our floor some nights, and it's very cramped for all of us. I've tried talking with my mom, and she promises to do better, but when she's with the new guy, she's totally obsessed, and her promises don't last long. My dad says to tell CPS, but Julie's not really being abused or neglected, and this is temporary. I've seen this pattern enough to know that once mom is married to the new guy, she'll settle down, be a great mom again, and Julie will be fine. In the meantime, how can I help my sister get through this? Oh, man. This upsets me a lot, too. This was really hard. I think, again, especially the line that jumped out at me was Julie's not really being abused or neglected. And my mom's going to be a great mom once she has husband number five. Suggests yeah. to me that maybe there's still some ways in which... Um, the letter writer does not have appropriate distance and can't kind of see their mother's behavior for what it is. Yeah, and the letter writer sounds I mean, sounds pretty young herself. Right. Um, and I, I feel for her, and I, I, I feel like it's, she's being asked to take on a, a bigger responsibility than, than she should be. Right. But I, I, I do, I, like, I, I feel like Julie is, is being neglected. Yeah, I would I would agree with you right there. I think it's hard sometimes when there's a lot of room in between somebody being raised in a close to ideal or, you know, loving but imperfect but great parents or 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 a living situation versus this child is in immediate danger and I would definitely feel justified in calling CPS right now when it comes to the stuff in the middle. I think part of maybe the desire to say she's not really being abused or neglected is I don't think she's in immediate danger, but like she's very much being neglected. And I don't have a great answer for you. Like, I don't think CPS is a perfect institution. Um, I don't think that what you have, uh, you know, your cramped studio is a perfect solution. I'm not saying that there's like one great piece of advice I'm going to be able to give you. But I do think just based on the letter that you wrote to us, um, your sister is being very much neglected very much neglected. Um, and e even if your mom does marry another guy, quote unquote, settle down again and become a quote unquote, great mom, 
I, you know, I, I don't think that that qualifies as a great mom. That damage will still have been caused. That instability, the the panic of being left alone with a man who's made it very clear that he does not consider you his child and that he doesn't want to be bothered with raising you. I mean, to a 12-year-old kid, that is so damaging. That's just heartbreaking. Like, your mom is not a great mom. And I'm so sorry. Um, uh, but even if every time she gets a new husband, she calms down a little bit and stays at home more, the damage is still done. The damage is still real. She is not a great mom. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, my instinct would be uh, to tell you to sort of start thinking really seriously about, like, what support system exists right now for Julie. Like, do you have relatives nearby that you like? Um, you know, is she close to to kids that have have families that you know? Um and to sort of figure out, you know, what are the other options for her? Right. Is there a counselor where, at her school? Some schools do have counselors for students that she can just go and share some of this with. Like, that might be useful to her. Yeah. Like, I think you should be in touch with her school. And I think you should be seeing what kind of resources exist there. I, I, get, I, I get nervous about telling people to call CPS because I think it can so often be a, a really sort of problematic experience for people and, and difficult. Um. Right. It varies so much from state to state, from family to family. Um, generally speaking, it's my understanding that these days CPS, at least their stated goal, is not to immediately remove children from homes, but to provide resources and support and do check-ins, like welfare check-ins. Um, that said, I can't guarantee that CPS would be the best thing for her. So I, I understand if you want to do some research, if you want to look more up uh, about how CPS operates in your city and in your state, um, what they would make available to both your sister and your mother, um, what possible repercussions might arise, and for you to talk about that with other people that you trust and to decide whether or not you think it's merited um, I think that'll be a difficult call that you'll have to make. And I mean, call in terms of whether or not to call, not that you have to make that call. Um, but there's a little girl here who needs a lot more than what she's giving from the adults in her life. She doesn't see her father. The man who has raised her for the last eight years doesn't think of her as his kid. Um, her mom is mostly not around. Um she doesn't really have anybody who's in her corner and it's wonderful. I'm so glad that she's been able to stay with you sometimes like, and that you at least had the presence of your father throughout your childhood. Um, you know, I, I would encourage you as much as possible to keep making your home available to her. I understand that it's cramped, but man, for a little kid who feels like nobody wants her, I have to imagine she's a lot happier in your cramped studio than in a big house where some guy is yelling at her or where her mom's not there. Like, it may be hard yeah. and inconvenient for you, and I'm not saying you have to let her move in with you tonight. Just, um, I, I think the cramped thing might be tricky and a challenge, but I would just, you know, what this kid needs now is love and attention and affection and a sense that there's someplace she can go where she's wanted. And it sounds like right now the only place she's getting that from is you. Yeah. And at the very least, I would think about trying to figure out some way to give her a routine where like, you know, I know a studio is small. I know it's cramped, but where she spends every Saturday night with you or, you know, every some every Thursday night, something where she feels like she has a kind of regular sense of she's going to be out of the house. She's going to be with people she loves. Um, and yeah. I think I, I acknowledge that that will be hard, but I think I think that's really important. I think 
just kind of knowing that she has these other spaces where she's gonna be, you know, gonna spend time. She's gonna go. I think, you know, could be could be helpful to her and really, right, give her a sense of something. And, and I think too, you know, you've already talked to your mom, and nothing's happened. And that's again just heartbreaking that you have said, "Mom, your twelve-year-old daughter, you know, you're failing her. She's she's alone. She's being hollered at. She feels unwanted. She doesn't have places to go." And that your mom's response has been, "Uh, yeah, but I really like my new boyfriend." That's just horrible. And I'm so sorry. Um, and that's really disheartening, right? That does not bode well for the future. Um, and I would say, again, as you kind of collect information and figure out ways that you can support your sister, you know, talk to her, ask questions. Like, you, you, you have a sense right now that she's not being abused, but this also sounds like a situation where the potential to become abusive is really rife. So ask her, like, hey, what's it like when you are alone with Lou? How do you feel? You know, does he hurt you? Does he yell at you? Does he ignore you? What do you do when the two of you are spending time together? How do you feel? And I know some of those are really big questions. So, you know, at 12 years old, she may not be able to, like, give perfectly articulated answers to all of them. But, like, ask her those questions, making it clear that she is safe with you, that you have her best interests at heart. You know, even if your boyfriend's a really great guy, try to do it when he's not around, when it's just the two of you, because it just sounds like... I imagine it's kind of hard for her to trust a lot of different people and, and get that information from her. And if, you know, if the tone of what she's saying seems to be along the lines of, yeah, he's hard to deal with, but mostly it's okay, or I get to read a lot or hang out in my room, then you might decide that you want to continue offering your home to her as much as you can and being supportive. Um, but that's it for now. Or if she says, well, sometimes he gets really impatient, and he throws things, then you might you know, that information might make you decide that you do need to call CPS and to, to ask a lot of questions and to figure out what's best for her. Um, you know, if your father is already at the level where he's kind of suggesting that you get on the horn with CPS, I do think you should at least consider it. I'm not saying that you have to or that you should, but um, I think the most important and the most useful thing you can do is check in with your sister a lot, be there for her as much as you can. I understand that, like, you're an adult with your own life and your own needs, but, like, nobody's nobody's putting this kid first. Nobody is. Uh, and she needs somebody to, because that's what, that's what kids need. And it should be her parents, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like, again, I don't want to, like, volunteer you for surrogate mom duty, but, you know, like, you've got your dad's support in some ways. Would your dad be okay with like maybe helping you out financially so that you could get a bigger place so that Julie could stay with you more often. Like there's a lot of possibilities in between let things go on exactly as they are or call child protective services tomorrow. Um, like maybe that's an option that you could explore. Um, maybe, you know, I don't know if, if you feel like it would be worth having another conversation with your mom, but um, I, I think to continue to, Check in with your mom and say, I, I really think Julie needs you. I, I, I really wish you would spend more time with her. I, I think that you need to like, like keep keep pressuring her from that side, too. And man, I just I feel so struck by the like insufficiency of all of these responses. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's not even a, a close to perfect solution here. No, no. And it's just really sad. Um, and I'm really sorry. And letter writer, I'm so, so, so glad that you are being there for your sister right now. I just think that will, that must mean so much to her. 
that will mean so much to her as she continues to grow up. You are doing something loving and familial, and that's just really wonderful, and I'm so glad that she has you. All right, this last letter. Is it real? This is one of the first letters that I've run where I've genuinely questioned, is this real? Because generally my approach is like, it probably is or it's not, and I have no way of knowing. I did Google. You did? What did you Google? What phrase did you look up? You know, it seems like a real phenomenon. There was a USA Today article about it. No. About vampire baby dolls? So, but not about vampire baby dolls. But about baby dolls, like grown women treating baby dolls like babies. Wow. Okay. Sure. Uh, when when did this article come out? The vampire things thing, though. I'll send you. The vampire things things thing was a little a little that made me feel like maybe it wasn't real that 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 was what put me so much in the middle because i was like either this is a ridiculous detail that someone has added because you know they think it's funny to make a really ridiculous letter run somewhere or this is absolutely what makes it true because this just seems like one of those things that can't possibly be real and so of course it has to yeah, because like maybe it's like, why would you make that detail up if you were trying to make a fake letter? You would, I mean, if nothing else, the person who wrote this is extremely creative. Uh, and I also just want you to know, as we've been discussing this, I've been Googling vampire baby dolls. And I am now on the website, thetwistedbeanstalknursery.com. The tagline oh. of which is, where my reborn babies grow on their twisted little vines. Oof. And this person makes incredibly spooky zombie dolls with vampire-like teeth uh, and piercing red eyes, which is actually kind of incredible. These look amazing. I kind of want one. Well, you know, you will be in good <laughs> company. Uh, I, I, after all of this. Not to, le- not to carry around, yeah. Lead up, I guess I should read the letter, which has been my goal this whole time. So the subject line of this is just baby slash doll. Dear Prudence, in the last year, my best friend since grade school has started bringing a doll in a stroller with her every time we go out. We're 45. It's a very real-looking doll, but has two little vampire fangs. While at lunch, she will rock it and cuddle it as though it were a real baby. The first time she did it, I asked her if she was okay, and she yelled at me in a restaurant for judging her, so I haven't brought it up again. She also gets upset when other people notice and look twice. She hasn't shared anything with me, but I'm wondering if she had a miscarriage or is grieving for a pregnancy she couldn't have. It makes me somewhat uncomfortable, and her two teenagers are obviously embarrassed. Her husband and mother appear to be ignoring it, but they've always indulged her. We live in different cities, so we don't see each other often. My question is, should I be worried? And if so, how do I approach the subject again? I know there are other women who do this, so maybe it's not as odd as it feels to me. I mean, this is just a data point of one, but for whatever it's worth, I did not know there were other people who did this. So, Yeah, I think it's odd. I don't think it's especially common. I don't think it's like the new it purse of the season is a vampire baby doll that you yell at other people when they look at it. I've never seen it. I've never encountered this. Yeah. So bearing in mind that this is either 100% made up or a real problem affecting real people, what advice do you think we could give them? So I think this is your best friend. I think the next time you see her, you have to kind of, you know, sit her down, sit down with her and, and in a gentle and loving way say hey like i really want to understand this baby doll that you are you know bringing everywhere can we can we talk about it 
And can you explain to me why it's important to you? Yeah. I mean, I also want to acknowledge, too, when somebody says my best friend since grade school, I feel like they don't necessarily always mean my closest friend, but somebody I've known a really long time, uh, which I, I don't know how I like that I'm getting like caught up in like, well, how best friends are they when that's kind of not the issue. The issue is the vampire baby doll that she yells at people about. But yes, my goodness, um, if this is fake, please enjoy this fake advice. If this is real, please enjoy this real advice. Of course you should talk to her about this. Of course you should talk to her about this. Um, I don't think you should wait until you're in the city at the same time. I think you should call her. And I think you should say, hey, I want to try again. The last time I asked you about this, um, you got really mad at me. And I just want you to know I'm not trying to insult you or or make you feel bad about yourself, but I'm genuinely confused. This is really surprising behavior. I am surprised. Can you explain to me, is there something going on that I should know about? You know, are you going through a difficult time? Um, what, what, like, what is this? What is, what, how is this serving you? Like, what are you getting out of this? Um, what does this do for you? Um, what prompted this? And not in that sort of way of like, you monstrous freak, explain yourself right now, because it sounds like she's already incredibly sensitive and defensive about it. But absolutely, just I love you. I want to know you better. This has been sudden and jarring. Uh, and and I, I, I'm i not trying to judge you. I'm trying to learn more about you because I care about you. Um, can you tell me what's going on? And it may be that she will share that there's some sort of trauma she suffered recently. It may be something she doesn't understand beautifully herself. It may be connected to some other deeper issues or problems that need to be addressed. But certainly, I think um, striking a balance between everybody does weird stuff sometimes, and yet also sometimes things are sort of like an external, I don't want to say quite cry for help, but it's clearly really socially unusual behavior. Like, not just the doll thing, but the not talking about it, the sort of tacitly asking everyone around you to treat it like a baby, um, yelling at people for acknowledging it um, and behaving in such a way that your husband and mother have decided their best strategy is to pretend it's not happening. You know, that's not that's not great. That's not a great way to move around in the world that suggests that there is something that your friend feels incredibly defensive, protective, embarrassed uh, surveilled, panicked, paranoid about. And that's worth talking about, especially if you love her and you've known her for like, what, 35, 40 years? You got to ask. And if she yells, you know, let her yell, say, okay, I hear you. I'm not trying to judge you. I need to talk to you about this. Can we, can we continue? Um, this is definitely, you love this woman. You've known her for decades. You got to ask. Yeah, and it, it may not go well, but you have to ask. Yeah, anyway. I mean, it didn't go well the first time, but that doesn't mean yeah. it's not worth doing. Um, yeah. You have to, because what if there is something really traumatic going on? Or what if she's having a really difficult time dealing with emotional reality and, and, and needs more help? Like the fact that her closest family members are going with, I don't see anything, nothing's happening here is not great. Um and somebody needs to, again, not like don't, you're not trying to make fun of her. You're not trying to say like, this is the creepiest, weirdest thing anyone's ever done in the whole wide world. You are completely illegible to me as a human being. You're a freak. You're not doing that. Like you love her and you're confused and you want to know more. And that's a good and a loving thing to do. Um, and I think you should pursue that. Um, and also maybe this is totally made up and someone is having a really great time laughing at me somewhere. I don't know. Either way, 
it was a brand new question and I'm grateful to have gotten to look at it. Yeah, it was a like one of those like, oh, the world is so varied and amazing kind of questions. Yeah, yeah, it really, really <laughs> is. It's a rich, rich tapestry, this world that Humans we dwell are in. Just amazing. Yeah, and and I got to learn about that like kind of cool, like bespoke zombie baby doll making website, which is just like really cool that someone can make those things. Um, yeah, I guess so now I've like given them free advertising. <laughs> um, we should have them come on and sponsor the show. But yeah, it's also you know I I, I want to acknowledge that life is a really rich tapestry, and sometimes adults get really into stuff that involves like dolls or fantasy or imagination. That's totally okay, and it's also really okay to say like it is you know, kind of inappropriate and a violation of politeness to bring a baby doll to a restaurant as a grown woman and, like, cuddle and feed it and yell at people who look at it. Like, that's actually, that's behavior that needs to be addressed, right? Like, it's not, I I don't want to say, like, oh, what a weirdo. She cares a lot about a doll. She's having a difficult time in her life. That's not at all what I want my response to be. But some of what she's doing is just falls under the umbrella of life's weird. Sometimes we do weird stuff. That's okay. It's okay to be weird. Um, And some of it falls into the category of either something is underlying this that has to do with your well-being that we need to address, or you're just being very, very rude in public, and that needs to stop. Um, Yeah, and I I think, like... You, you don't need to you don't have to sort of judge her as a person but i think it's you know if if, it, if conversation goes well it's fair to say like there are some things that the people are reacting to that are, are not normal and right you know lead with that it's, but like it's reasonable that that this is drawing reaction right yeah I, I don't think you know if you need to have a little private like freak out before you call and and just sort of do the like i think this is really weird and i don't get it kind of let that out before you talk to her um because it's really important to make it clear that um that's not what you're there to do you're not there to judge her you're there to ask if there's something underlying it and then also to talk about it really surprised me that you were yelling at strangers in public for you know looking at you um, because it is totally understandable that people look twice. That's a very unusual thing that you're doing, um, and it draws people's attention. Um, and that's new. It doesn't sound like your friend has a history of doing really outrageous things in public and then getting mad at people for noticing. So that's another reason that it's good to talk about is like anytime someone experiences a pretty drastic change in personality, there's always the question of, are you okay? Are you well? Do you do you need medical attention um you know again i don't want to get in the business of like armchair diagnoses there's nothing in here that would make me feel confident like you need to take her to a doctor right now but yes the correct response to this is not ignore it and pretend nothing is happening yes ask yeah i i think this is by the way the second letter i've ever gotten about like an upsetting doll the last one was from a husband yeah, the who, demon doll. Yes, and we never did get pictures of the doll. Although I think at some point somebody sent me a picture of a. I'm looking at my producer. Yes, my producer is like like going. Yes, yes. Um, there was some doll. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so um, my producer forwarded me this email a couple of days ago. It is about a haunted doll, and the person just wrote, "Hi, Prudence." Attached is a picture of a little old llama doll that sits on my desk. After several experiments, I've decided that he's haunted, and I just finished listening to your Dolly Dearest podcast, so I thought I'd show him to you. He belonged to my mom, and I took him with me when I moved out. He has a tendency to move around on his own, and has ever since I was a child. 
I always used to think it was my mother teasing me, but now he continues to show up in strange places, even years after I moved away from my mom. His name is Petey. And that's P-E-A-T-Y, like a Pete Bog, not like a dude named Pete. And I wish you could wow. see the picture um, of the little llama doll. It's very charming uh, in a way that makes me totally convinced that it is haunted. So um, that's now our third strange doll that's appeared on the show. As always, my goal is just to turn this podcast into a show about dolls that may or may not be haunted. I think that's a great goal. And, it's and I, you know, three is a trend, right? So yeah, here we are. Yeah, this is it. This is it. It's, it's all starting now. Please send me all of your doll-related questions, especially if you think they might be haunted. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. 